You are now tuned in to the Property Management Show with your host, Alex Osanenko. We bring in the experts of today so you can be the master of tomorrow in all things property management. Whether it's getting more doors, running a profitable fee-based business, or by simply being the best property manager. So, grab a pen and paper because this episode is sure to be a good one. Thank you and enjoy the show. Hey guys, um, welcome to another episode of the Property Management Show. Um, today it's going to be um, something di- a little bit different, um, and I s- keep saying that every episode, but today is different. Um, we're going to talk about um, the latest um, events or event that's taking place in this industry that is, I think, quite significant. And specifically, a company called Castle, Castle Property Management in Detroit, which was a VC-backed technology-first property management startup, they have closed their doors. They're failed. And um, we're going to break it down and find out what we can learn from it as an industry and as entrepreneurs. Um, The guest today is, and he's going to laugh at this, but I think personally that he's often the smartest guy in the room even though he will laugh it off and deny it and he doesn't look it. <laughs> That's for that. sure. But That's I think sure. he certainly is. Um, uh, he's a founder and president of a company called Rentworks, um, who's growing by a door a day. Uh, I think probably one of the fastest organically growing car uh, companies in America. Probably, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know anybody at this velocity right now. I but, prefer the title High Chancellor and Vice Lord, if you will. <laughs> High Chancellor of Rentworks. Uh, he's also host of the Property Management Mastermind Show, uh, an exceptional show to get news and and understand deeper uh, um, uh, um, workings of the industry and, and and how to not make the same mistakes um, as uh, um, Brad's guests make sometimes, right? Um, and he goes over that in his show. Um, he's a top-notch entrepreneur and I'd, I'd say one of the leading minds in the property management community today. Brett Larson, welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. It's a good introduction. Did I, what did I miss? Uh, you missed ravishingly good looking. Uh, you missed uh, amazing hair that he has going on. I wish I was as good looking as a guy like John Bradford. You know, he's he's like my oh, yeah, my spirit my spirit child right there. I want to be like him. He is really, really, uh, really well. A uh, good presenter. Actually, we were lucky to have him to come and present at the PM Growth Summit here in a couple of days. Um, He's going to talk about the political landscape and where sort of how, how to, as a property management entrepreneur, how to interpret this, this political moves and, and how to position your company um, for, to maximize opportunity in the future. So that's, that's good. But let's, let's actually, let's turn our attention to the story of Castle. I, I know, well, Max, uh, the founder and CEO of Castle, co-founder, I should say, spoke at the previous PM Growth Summit. Well, you were there, right, Brett? Correct. Yeah. I was there. Um, I remember the talk. It was quite inspirational. I think the idea the idea was good. And, and this is what I got from their TechCrunch profile, right? And this is – I'm going to read this out. Folks who are not familiar with Castle, this will come very, very clear after I read this following two sentences. Here's their TechCrunch profile. Property management is one of those industries that typically lags behind the rest of the U.S. economy in terms of technology – customer service, and transparency. Castle 
is trying to bring the industry up to date with its automated property management platform. That's sort of the, the couple sentences that define who they are and what they're trying to solve. What do you think about that, Brad? Are we, uh, are we behind? No, no. I, lo I love the innovation they're trying uh, because, you know, I've had several discussions about this with you and several others. And, you know, you start looking at other industries. Let's say Colonel Sanders with Kentucky Fried Chicken. How many times did he fail? Uh, you look at the invention of the light bulb. You got all these people that you could go through history and say, well, they did all these inventions and they epically failed the first few times. But I have to appreciate the basically the, the attempt that they made to do something different to better the industry. So I really do like what they've attempted. It's just the execution of it may not have been at the right time and or in the right market. Mm, you, you think it's a market. I think it's a combination of things. We're going to break them down. And I think this would be a good lesson for all of us entrepreneurs because, you know, it's okay to start and fail. It's, it's, part, of the, it's part of the game, right? You got to play the game. This is a reality. You know, not every idea is going to work. Um, but there are other things like pivoting that I really uh, I cannot understand um, why the pivot factor was not brought in. And instead of pivoting, the company kind of chose to just close their doors. But we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, let's let, let me start with the with 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 breaking down the statement. And I think the assumption that technology and customer service transparency are all lagging in this industry is absolutely spot on, right? We grow up. We we because I already connect myself to property managers. That's what I do all day long. Is I just this this is my community, my tribe. So. Allow me, please, to use the word we. We started in the back rooms of the real estate offices and for years and years did not get any resources, no attention, no technology, and let's face it, only people who failed in real estate got relegated to the property management duties. Brad? Yeah, and initially that's part of what motivated me because you look at the downturn in 06 uh, that we had, 06, 07, I was doing real estate sales at the time. I always wanted to do more of a business type of a scenario, which is property management in real estate is a perfect fit. Uh, you have the insurance industry, which I looked at, but I didn't really want to go and exit the real estate business. So I formed a management company and really started focusing all my efforts to that. That's beside the point. But I do want to circle back on what you mentioned with Castle. You talked about something with transparency. And they're trying to make a more transparent company. I think a lot of companies right now are transparent as much as they probably can be. I mean, for example, we try to put everything we can online. Now, I'm not posting my tax returns or you know the company books, but let's try and figure out what they mean by transparency and, and how that's going to suddenly magically separate them from everybody else. Uh, are they trying to be transparent in maintenance, for example? Uh, is there a maintenance work order? Is it open? Is it current? Is there a vendor on the way? Are they trying to GPS a vendor like an Uber driver? You know, what kind of transparency level are they trying to get to to make people feel good about renting homes and make the experience better? Uh, or are they just trying to show people that here's our fees, here's what we charge, here's what you rent, uh, here's how we work? Are they just trying to do that? Because that's very common already. A lot of people are already doing that. Well, when you say a lot of people, they started in 2014. And Brett, understand understand i work so you meet a lot of property management companies and you have uh, a very sort of strong relationship with a lot of them and you have you are i would call you a, probably one of the top industry experts when it comes to operating and growing the business 
I see a different slice. I speak to a variety of entrepreneurs in property management space in different stages of their business, different outlooks on, on what the business should be. And I will tell you that you are an outlier, right? And especially in 2014, you didn't even exist, right? So when they set to solve the transparency, there was none, right? It was none. So I think you're absolutely right. The transparency that, you know, transparency is, is, is meaningless word. As an owner of a property management, uh, excuse me, as an owner of an investment property, I, I just want to know what's going on. Mm -hmm. Th that's it. I mean, that is, that is it. I, I don't really care, to be honest with you, when the maintenance guy gets there. As long as the tenant, I want to know the tenant is happy with the repair. I want to know repair is done. I want to know inspections are done. I want to know rent is due. But I have a life. I, like, I, I, if I want to manage myself, I would. Right? Yeah, and that a lot of people don't want the transparency that, that you mentioned. A lot of the owners that we work with, uh, one, they can't be reached or they don't want to be reached. That's why they hire a manager. So the transparency is going to have to be what that particular client wants. They may not have the time to see, I mean, define transparency. Let's go back to this. Is that getting a, a text message for every time you get a maintenance request or every time there's an action on the property? Is that, a, is that an email? Is that a phone call? I mean, you could be blowing up owners' phones or their email boxes with transparent actions. Uh, the other easy transparency that a lot of people already do, a lot of managers already do every single day, every single month, is they make sure they see all the numbers. Here's what your home rented for. Here are the expenses. Uh, here's the income. Here's the revenue. Here's your bottom line. Here's what we sent you on an owner draw. That's fully transparent for almost all companies, but... The other side of that, to keep them fully in the loop of what we do, I think that would drive owners crazy. Yeah, I, I agree. But, but, but there, there's, there's, there's somewhere where the, the portals that current software companies provide uh, you know, are okay from a financial perspective, but I want to understand my property condition perspective. I want to get inspections and pictures there. I want to understand when is the next inspection due. I want to understand the preventative maintenance schedule in terms of like, hey, take inventory of all my assets. Oh, my heater is 1974, and it's due to be re repaired in, you know, 19, whatever, 2019. I want to know, like that, you know what I mean? That, as an investor, yeah. the, the forecasted expenses, forecasted revenue. Let's that, spin that some of me, that around. That's what we mean what matters. Let, let me spin some of that around on you because uh, the software is already there to do this in almost all the players. They can do a full disclosure type of a owner's portal. You can post everything on there. You can post inspections. You can post the tax returns, you know, the 1099s. You can post all the monthly statements, all the annual statements. You can post everything there. However, we turned that off two years ago. In discussion with Greg Deering, a uh, property management company owner, the, one of the regional vice presidents. Uh, he's up in Round Rock, just north of Austin. They turned off their owner's portal years ago because what was happening is if something was incorrect in the portal, the owners would call and complain. And we were getting more calls for complaints. Well, why don't you have the inspection on there from three years ago? Why don't you have my 2013 1099 posted on there? It's not on there. I can't find it. So you might have five people complain that you're not keeping your stuff correct, Versus five people that call in and say, hey, Alex, uh, I'm doing my 2016 taxes. Do you, can you happen to send me a 1099 real quick? Absolutely, Alex. I'd love to. Blah, blah, blah. Click, click, click. Boom. You're done. That's the mindset we've adopted. Now, it's not for everybody. I'm just saying this is what we've done because we've gone full circle on that. I built a custom portal years ago with Anu Pai and her team to where we had a brand new custom portal that was uh, state-of-the-art, just built for us so we could do everything that you and I just discussed to post 
all the inspections to post all the pictures, all the, the monthly statements. I mean, everything you could think of we wanted to post there. But what we found is if we weren't keeping it up, we were getting hit with you're not doing your job. And it made us look worse. But I, th- I think this is this is sort of this is where, where it it breaks down when you're not keeping it up. Right. Because and, and that's what the castle going back to castle. I think they're trying to solve the keeping up aspect uh, to a programmatic like, hey, let's order. Let's use automation and tech to sort of make sure it's out there. Because honestly, as an investor, Brad, I, I want this. Like, I yeah. want this stuff. Yeah. And if, if somebody pitches me their services and I'm working with you and they show me the ease and, and like, hey, here's, you, we're not going to talk to you unless there's a problem. But you can go here, like your online banking. You can go here and see. And I don't want it to be attachments and crap. Like, I want, I want, like, I want to have, I want it look like a website. Here's mm-hmm. my statements. Here are my inspections. Here are my forecast. Here's what's coming up. Right? It's it's a user experience. Fa- so so I, I take I take your point completely, but I think I I think a lot of investors would would work with you if they had that. To pick on you a little bit more, um, yeah. I wrote a big in. giant blog post on Bigger Pockets, and it was titled "Are You a C Class Landlord?" And so I'm going to have to send this to you so you can do a self-diagnosis on yourself <laughs> to see if you are a C-class landlord. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. All right. So with that, so you had you had this transparency thing we broke down, but I, I, I think we're we're not in complete agreement here. But um, no, that's good though because there's two different sides, and then the business owner to their market to their owners can make the decision on which way they want to go with that. Correct. Because that's where it comes down to one of the the epic fails of potential what happened to Castle is they weren't ready for the market specifics. I wanted to take a pause uh, from this interview for just a, a few minutes and talk about our sponsor. Our sponsor today is Four and Half, my own company, and our brand new product, One Partner website platform. You see, the problem with websites is that once you have it built, there's really no changes being made until you're ready for a new one in three to four or five years down the line. So the website's not keeping up with your business. And if you are making changes on your website, you are left guessing on how those changes will improve the performance of the website. Right? So one partner solves that. We solve it in three ways. The website platform that we have focuses on leads, data, and data-driven decisions. Let me explain. First and foremost, the website is designed with your perfect customer experience in mind first. It's all about them, professional copy, larger text, easy, clean layout, super fast loading, videos, explainer videos throughout the website, lead magnets like ebook download and rental analysis uh, implemented throughout the website where they make sense. We also help you with a three-tier pricing plan. We have a, a framework that will help you and will consult you on putting together the pricing plan to baffle your competition and play in different uh, uh, price spectrums for your customers and create an upsell opportunity within your company. Definitely going to lead your local market if you are able to introduce that. And so all of that uh, means little if we don't have the if the website does not rank. Well, four and a half uses the last six years of our experience to implement SEO. Uh, best practices throughout the website, inside the website, outside the website, um, connect all your digital channels, all your social media channels, 
and have that sort of a presentation of who you are as a brand, consistent, clean, and very, very easy for your customers to understand. Now, the second element here is the business performance dashboard. It's the data. There's so much of it out there. Who cares, right? I can't dig into Google Analytics and try to understand what does, uh, you know, what is my bounce rate and how does that, how is that relevant to my website SEO? Well, so what we've done is we distilled all that information coming from, you know, 10 other sources, you know, including your CRM, your reputation channels, your Google Analytics, uh, and so on, into a simple dashboard that answers three questions. Where are my leads are coming from? How much does it cost me per lead from all these different lead sources? And it has a trigger built in on where and when to double down. You see, our team uses this information to study the performance of your website every 90 days. And we get on the phone with you and we'll figure out what to build next, whether it's new landing pages, whether it's proving different, putting different videos in different places, whether it's uh, um, essentially explain, do a better job explaining the particular services you have, whatever we find from the data and, and the opportunities to make the performance improvements, we pass them on to you on a continuous basis and we build those out. That is what One Partner Platform is all about. If you want to learn more, if you want to stand out from a competition, if you really want to move your business to the next level, do yourself a favor. Go to fourandhalf.com forward slash one partner and see what we have. Let's get back to the show. Correct. Because that's where it comes down to one of the, the epic fails of potential what happened to Castle is they weren't ready for the market specifics. Right. Um, Okay, I think I want to I want to go into uh, the team aspect. Uh, this is property management is a service business. When you call yourself technology first, you you sort of put in a, a modifier into a service business, saying, "Look, we're going to build the tech that enables the service." Fine, I run a technology excuse me service company that is tech enabled. You essentially run a service company that is tech-enabled, right? You use partners for that. Um, some of it you build yourself, uh, meaning your own contractors build to your spec. Some of it you buy off the shelf. You make it work for your business. Um, here's what the castle uh, situation was, or is, or was. Um, their statement is they consolidated all. They consolidated all the services through a combination of technology and on-demand labor. So their makeup is 18 people domestically, 30 in Philippines, and 15 what they call stewards, managing what, about 400 properties they had? Uh, you got to add that up <laughs> because that is the, the highest staff number I've ever heard right, for but 400 homes. Correct. They were not, this is not a profitability play, right? This is, this is, this is basically, uh, uh, um, you know, grow and, 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 and scale plan. Let's, let's, let's figure this out in the model and then scale it up. Um, the stewards now, in all, in all honesty, you know, the stewards are the 1099 employees who work kind of running around doing the property inspections and such. Um, but here's my problem with this, Brad, and uh, let me let throw it out to you. You, you run a s similar organized company as I do. Um, it, I think what, what they try to do is they try to break down the service component, the service aspect into small, small components 
and then put it on assembly line. So they had the account manager that handles the relationship, but the person from the Philippines does the reference checks and also uh, answers the specific questions for the owners, only that, those types of questions. And then the stewards will be in inspecting the property and somewhere, and then there's probably a bunch of other things, right? Um, and somewhere on that assembly line, things inevitably break, right? You know, Ronnie.service business, it, they break, they break, there's disconnect from a perspective of a business owner, right? We love this because look at that. That, that, that mentality basically gives you control over your labor costs for specific tasks within a service period, right? So you can say, okay, my Philippines people do this, my US people do this, my 1099s do this, and here's how it all breaks down and it looks beautiful and I'm like super cost effective. In reality, from a customer perspective, there's a disconnect. Everybody's involved in their business. They're not necessarily talking to each other properly. From a perception of a customer, they get all these phone calls, all these emails from people who did, they don't know. From a real easy way to break that down is no one's in charge of everything and everyone is in charge of nothing. It was just chaos. And we hit that point as a company right around their level of 400 homes and then we switched to a portfolio manager type of a model, which I've talked about before and everyone's sick of hearing, but I stole it from the Australians. You know, I, I really did. Uh, one of their Australian guys over there in their master class with LPMA was teaching that. And I must have listened to that track a hundred times to, to really understand that model of somebody having the accountability of being the one person in charge of managing that home. True. So there's there's a new there's a new wave of of team structure coming from Australia as well, which I stole. And yeah, the team like, model. Yeah, the, the squad. Right, the squad. squad yeah. There's upward movement. So to the, for the listeners, um, the squad is essentially like think of it as a triangle with a campaign or a campaign manager. We call them on top. Account managers below them. Assistant account managers below them, and then VAs below them. So it's sort of like. The campaign manager is the ultimate strategist, right? In charge of the strategy and implementation of that strategy into customers' accounts. The account managers actually handle a lot of the relationship. Assistant account managers handle the work uh, load and, and the assistants handle the specific tasks. So to some extent, you think, okay, isn't that, Alex, the assembly line? That's the question like somebody may, may pose. And, and, the, and the answer is, it kind of is, uh, but it kind of, but it's it's not a line. It's it's a it's a cue. It's a triangle, and it works. Mm -hmm. It works for us, and we found it a lot more efficient. And I think more and more property managers. And by the way, Adam Hooley is uh, coming to PM Growth Summit to speak on the subject. And uh, those of you who are not coming to the summit will have the videos that you can purchase later on. In fact, you can read his Ben White's book on the subject too. Um, yep. Just remember what, remember what Bob Walters said. He said, delight your customers with great service. How you get there is kind of irrelevant because you guys can debate portfolio, department, squad, all kinds of stuff. We can debate about that because in the end of the day, how much does it cost to delight your clients? Because departmental might cost more than portfolio. Portfolio might cost more than departmental. The squad technique, you got 20 hands on deck. So... I like the, the difference in the models, and it's really interesting and fascinating to see what people make work for their situation. Right. But I think for, in Castle's case, I think in Castle's case, they just couldn't they – they, they did not have enough industry and service experience to really gel all these components together. And I, I think it – I mean, you look at their reviews, 
you know, I think there's just breakdowns in that assembly line. And that's inevitable. As a startup, you go to the breakdown. But but to figure that out is to win, essentially, right? To figure that out is to win. And the technology just, I don't think it's caught up with all of the issues uh, um, that we're facing down that service assembly line. Mm-hmm. I think a startup like that is going to have a very difficult time in gaining traction. Uh, you have a lot of younger players in there that were doing the tech type stuff. And when you're convincing either corporations or owners to trust you with their biggest asset, you got to have some real legitimacy behind you to look like you are the person that can take care of those things. I, I think I think that's that's another aspect. I think you hit I think you hit a, a very sort of interesting point. Um, I think the aspect of trust was a little bit under underplayed in the way that even Max, the CEO, and sort of the communication from Castle. To me, sounded very, very cool and startup-ish. Very, very cool. Very smart guy. There's no question about it. No question. I would, I would be, you know, I, I would pay to have dinner with him, right? To, to, to pick his brain on things. Incredibly smart guy. But at the end of the day, you absolutely right, man. I have a property. It's my biggest asset. I don't want it played with. You want to play right. with something? Play with something. Uh, but I'm not a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big piece. I mean, the trust factor goes a long way. Positive reviews. Somebody with experience in the market that knows the rules, uh, you know, the experience wins there a lot of times. They might have great concepts and techniques and, and technology, but if somebody's not giving them a warm fuzzy when you sit down at their kitchen table, it's tough to get new business. Well, and sometimes, and I think so, like I, um, um, there's this presentation by, um, I can't recall right now that I'll listen to, it's talking about, you know, the, 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 the like the Uber coming in and taking out the cabs. Um, well, I don't think it's necessarily comparable here because, you know, cabs was just terrible, right? It was an absolutely terrible service across the board. There are good property management companies out there, and they're getting much, much better. Um, so to come in as an innovator without that tr- without that security, I would call it protection and security. I wouldn't call it trust. I think you can trust Max. You can trust trust Castle. They were strong. They looked right. They were going to do the right things. They're not cheats, right? They're very, very upstanding people, very smart people. But I think the protection factor, I think you, uh, that, I think you hit that. I didn't have that on my notes. That's a really good one. Yeah, the experience is a big thing. Uh, again, if you're the owner at a, on a kitchen table presentation or even a phone or a Skype presentation and you're talking to a 25-year-old, no offense to 25-year-olds, but – I hope you know where I'm going there versus if you're talking to an industry professional who's been in that market, that business for 15 or 20 or 30 years, or their company's been around for 20, 25, 30 years. That's a big difference in just the right off the bat. And I don't want to use the word trust because we beat it up enough, but let's just say initial warm fuzzy. <laughs> I want to feel <laughs> that's protected. Good, I want to yeah. feel protected. I want to know my – one of the biggest fears, I listened to Jordan's podcast the other day. And, 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 and he had a guest who, who had a portfolio of properties, and, and he's like, one of my biggest fears is my property manager's up and up and leaves and leaves me in the dust. Like, I don't mind spending money. I don't mind spending preventative maintenance. I want a proactive management, and I'm willing to pay a premium for it. I'm that kind of guy. But my biggest fear is they, they up and leave or, 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 you know, go up and smoke, and I'm left with, you know, picking up the pieces and, and figuring things out. And, and, and. For Castle, there, there was that perception. I, I, I feel if I was the owner again, I would be concerned. I would be concerned on it, not the fact that I'm talking twenty-five year old. I'll, so personally, 
but I would be concerned on this on this sort of like adventure slash experiment with my property. Do you want to be the guinea pig for brain surgery? Go ahead, but you know I don't think I'd be that guy. Yeah. All right, so we beat that down pretty well. So the team structure, I think the idea was right, execution failed and I think it failed in a way that technology just could not solve the disconnect within that assembly line. It's great to balance the labor costs with different service aspects, but you better connect it. And if you can't string it, if you can't have that wow factor, as you call it, you know, delightful factor, whatever, then, then, then it fails. If I may, can we talk about what kind of market they had? Uh, maybe you Let's have more that, experience. Yeah. Yeah, maybe you have more uh, knowledge of what they were managing. What types of home and demographics were they into? Were they into multifamily? Were they into just single-family homes? Did they have duplexes, triplexes? I mean, talk about the market structure in that Detroit area they were in. Yeah, I think you would know as much as I would at this point. Uh, but I think they were they were attracting a single-family, you know, or, or small complex, maybe multi-complex investors and and, and owners. Um, I think their sort of traditional customer type was very similar than yours and many others. Okay, so that can pose a problem because let's say they're the average customer here in this market might be twelve, thirteen hundred dollars that they're gonna rent. That's the average. Okay. Uh, you know, we manage a little bit higher than that because we tailor to ourselves towards a higher end market, which we've discussed before. Where I'm going with this is if they're managing low end properties, those low end challenges don't just magically go away with tech. You know, if people don't have bank accounts, they're not going to be able to pay you technology-wise. They're still going to want to walk in and hand you money. If they don't have mobile phones to do some sort of texting back and forth with you, where they got to walk in and hand you a work order, you see where I'm going? Yeah. I mean, if, they're, if they had a really low-end market, that's, that's really going to be very tough to, 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 to add the tech factor into that. Yeah, I don't think they've had a low-end market. Uh, they said the territory was 45 miles outside of Detroit and sort of the whole southeast Michigan. And there's plenty of, of, of fairly affluent na neighborhoods there and, 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 you know, investment opportunities. So I don't think – I mean, they probably had some low-end properties, but I don't know enough to argue that point. But my next point was price, revenue, and fee structure, in fact. So we can hit that um, out of the park. There, here's what their TechCrunch profile says. While most incumbent property management companies charge a percentage of rent collected, which you don't, I know, uh, Castle just charges a flat fee of $79 per month. In itself, this isn't the problem. Why, Brad Larson? That's not enough revenue to make yourself survive. Uh, the other side of that is but what are they charging on the- a flat fee concept is not a problem in itself, correct? No, no. A flat fee is great. We do the same thing. You know, it's all over my website. Everybody can go there and check it out if they want to look at it. But- uh, where they get you is the leasing fees. Uh, there's a big player. I don't want to drop names, but they're a big franchise. They have really slow monthly flat fees, but their leasing fees are off the chart. I mean, if you hit one or two-year lease agreements, they double hit you, right? So it makes up on their revenue, but they're, they're trying to bait you in with that low monthly fee. And so it really kind of depends on what they were able to gener generate on revenue per door. Right, the old metric that we sometimes talk right. about: how much revenue are you generating per door that you manage per month? And if that was not very much, if their ancillaries didn't add up to anything, you know, if they're generating 100 to 150 dollars per month per home that they manage, that's not even close to covering their expenses. Right. 
Well, so their 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 intended idea was to right to to sort of cut down expenses with the technology and scale. Um, you know, there's no way they could do that if they have forty some employees. I mean, you said seventeen or eighteen local, yeah. all making thirty, forty, fifty grand a year, or something like. Let's say it's twenty five if you want to round that. I mean, that's a lot of income right there, a lot of revenue that they're going to have to pay out just for that staffing locally. Then you have the Philippines, and then you have some other people that you mentioned. I mean, you got you have a ton of uh, overhead there, probably yeah, I, I more the, than their revenue. I think the 25 assumption is not um, – I, I don't – you know, because a lot of technology – people who write code, they're five times that, right, four times that. There's no 25 in that realm, uh, right, or you pay with equity, right? Or you pay mm-hmm. with with equity, so so definitely was it was it was definitely one of those things. Um, yeah, so seventy nine bucks per month, attractive to the customer, but uh, tough to make a buck, tough to yeah, make absolutely. a profit on. Yeah, yeah, and I understand you got to do that a little bit sometimes when you're entering a new market. Uh, I think that's always a good thing. You have to potentially get your base underneath you. You might charge less, and then you raise your rates later on. I mean, that's a proven business model throughout any industry you find. Uh, however, they just couldn't scale it up to generate enough revenue to keep themselves alive. I would like to know, and this is I'm going to throw this question out there to you, kind of how did that that shutdown initiate? Was it the investors saying, you're done, uh, go away, I recall your note due? Uh, did they just say, we can't make this work? I mean, did it, do you know anything more about what drove their exit? Yeah, uh, well, so I have in front of me their capital and funding table um, just so – the listeners and both of us are aware they started with a 30k little note in June of 2014. They raised 272,000 in April of 15. They raised another 120 from November on November 2015. Another 350 in December 2015, and then the last round was for 2.5 million. Uh, in April 2016. So total funding was 3.3 mil. To manage 400 homes. Genius. Well, Genius. To, to, bring, to bring the new solution to the, to, to the investors in the form of property management solution, right? So that was the, that was the goal. I don't think it, I, you know, nobody, nobody invested in them to manage 400 homes. What, what I, and I have a similar question to your question. And I don't know enough, honestly. Hopefully I can get Max on this, maybe both of you and I can interview Max. I want to give him some space. It's probably not an easy time for him right now. Um, but again, I admire his everything, right? But I do want to see if there are nuggets of wisdom we can extract so others can do better, mm-hmm. right? Others can do it's, better. It's um, going to be probably pretty generic types of nuggets because it's so difficult to put your hands around why something like that did not work. Uh, you could easily say that, well, the tech didn't work. Okay, that, that could be the case, but I doubt it. Uh, you could say, well, the, the tenants really didn't like what we were doing, or, well, the owners didn't buy into it. Well, that's sort of kind of fuzzy math there as well. It's not as easy to grasp. So I don't think it's going to be one concrete, uh, we hit a wall because it just didn't work because our power went out. You know, or so, It's not going to be something very simple to understand. And I kind of think the investors maybe saw that it wasn't going to be a long-term feasibility or feasible play and they just said all right it's time to shut this down and maybe they recoup some of that money because a lot of that may have just been sitting in the bank to use for acquisitions potentially but they never got to use it they ran out of cash there's no there's no 
There's no doubt in my mind. They're running out of cash. They're just out of money. Uh, and I think I think Max specified that in a new. They couldn't they couldn't secure another round. So they've made so, because so they burned through. Let me let me let me break this down because the people that are going to listen to this are going to be shaking their head and screaming at the radio because they burned through three million 3. plus 3. in how many years? Less than four years. In uh, less than four years, yes. That's unbelievable, unbelievable. So I, I'm. It makes me sick to hear that figure. But when you build technology, I mean, I have a development team. We're working on a product. It is, it 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 is it is very very expensive to have talented people. You can you I mean you can get cheap coders, but you get you, the outcome of that is going to be equal <laughs> equal to your investment. Yeah. So I, I I'm not surprised at all. I think a lot of this a lot of the cash were were in, invested, and they were not paying themselves anything at all. I mean, they were like living in a, some kind of a a hostel. hostel or something. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're, they 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 got rich by this by any means. I think it's I think it's it's a lot of tech and development dollars and and I think it's this inability to respect. I mean, to me, it comes down to this. And uh, Max, if he, if he listens, man, feel free to call me out on this. To me, you said there's no one reason. I agree, and we just discussed three with you that are fairly sort of like sort of there. But to me, it's it's in a bit it's. It's not giving the service aspect the respect and attention it deserves. The tech is very cool, but customers need protection. They need guarantees. They need assurances. They need. Uh, um, they need to be. They need. They. They. They, they need to trust you, um, the company, and the service does that. Not the tech. Screw the tech. What's the mm-hmm. tech? Tech is great. Tech is a means to solve, you know, a, a programmatic problem or small task and issue and, and get information. That's great. Love tech. It helps with that. The service aspect in the not spending enough attention capital on the service, I think, you know, maybe hiring smart people is not is not the answer. Hiring smart people is absolutely not the answer to to um to really create a service first company, or not service first, but an incredible customer experience company, it, it, it's it's culture, it's a lot of things. And when you blend technology, and I'm dealing with this right now, when you blend technology people into the service people and try to make a single unit, it's a difficult, difficult thing. And I think not paying attention to the service aspect, not giving these people uh, the training, the, the structure, always say, hey, we'll figure this out, that's where it kind of falls apart. Because... Th- when they talk to customers, your customer agents talk to your customers, and they're figuring things out on that phone. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm a landlord. I, I own a problem. I don't want to. I don't want to be involved with that. Right. Mm-hmm. What, do you, what do you think of that? Of that rant? Man, I tell you what. Uh, from a business owner's perspective, uh, I'm, I'm listening to Robert Gilstrap in the back of my head. Just go like this behind me. You know Robert. I know Robert. Yep. Uh, he's very outspoken about this and he'd be screaming at the radio right now saying they managed 400 homes and they had four million dollars and they, they shut down uh because it's just a it's mind-boggling i'm having a hard time conveying my thoughts right now because it's just uh, it's like rolling your eyes at this whole thing falling apart here's where i'm going to want to go with this there is plenty of tech out there now in this space to manage your homes to outsource everything you need from top to bottom you have how many different software providers. You have how many different services out there for maintenance? Uh, you have how many different call centers that will help integrate all of that together? Uh, it, there's just all kinds of tech out there now. I think they would have been better off to pinch, 
potentially just start another uh, property management software company, right, and build that up, they would have been better off to do that and then try to gain some market share and sell it to whomever. But to try and go into to management, into that space with the tech inside of what they're doing clearly didn't work. And I don't think it will work. I don't know if I agree. So there are a couple. There are others out there, right? That, that we can definitely watch. And now, you know, I think everybody's going to pay closer attention to them. I think Mind uh, uh, Property Management. I think uh, um, there there are a couple of others. One Rent. One Rent is one of them. Um, they're here in a, in a, in, a, in a Bay Area. Um, you know, it's going to be difficult uh, <laughs> for them to make it work. But I think I, I think we're missing the point. It. it I think we're missing the point in a big way if we think they spent $3.3 million to manage 400 properties. That was not at all the point. What was their end state? They, they, they wanted to grow. They, they wanted to put a model together where it can, it can scale to a nationwide brand. The 400 properties was an experiment that failed. It was not the end goal. I mean, and that's why part of it is like, this is my next, next question is like, why no pivot? Why do you just walk away from this, right? Uh, there might be some internal pol- political issues, but you have a 400-unit portfolio. Yeah, you, 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 you've basically flopped initially or for now on the idea of, of this scaling this or nationwide brand and this. But there's a, you, know, you, you still have 500 to 750K in revenue coming in every year, right? Yeah, correct. So I'm curious, very curious, uh, what they ended up doing with that. Did they just turn it over to a different group? Uh, or did the investors come in and make them sell it and then recoup some of that? It's just, I'm very curious. Yeah, I'm curious too, but, but why quit? Why send everybody a letter that castle no more? No, castle as a fantasy no more. Castle as a property management company is still here to serve you. There's no, you know, we have failed in one aspect of our business model. It doesn't mean we need to disappear and, and sort of do about face and just like, ah, screw it. I'm done. This is not working out. There are other, probably other things in there, right? There's probably political other things. But if they're not, I'm very, very surprised. Um, and say, okay, I just don't want to run property management company. I'm done. I quit. That's, that's childish. That's, that's like, that's not, that's not, you can't, you can't, you know, for your employees, for your customers, how, how, for your vendors, how do you do mm-hmm. that? Yeah, in their defense, they may have not have done that. They might have been forced to do that. Uh, maybe they were, I don't know if there's a term for the VC funding, like bankruptcy, to where they say liquidate everything and give us whatever you can right now. Maybe they had a clause in their agreement. So it might not have been internal. It might have been external forces driving that to say they had to do that at a certain time if they didn't reach a certain amount of homes. Yeah. So they may well, have had that up front. This would happen if they gave the control of the company to the board of directors. Um, in fact, no, the board of directors has the control of the company. But if they gave uh, voting shares and got basically essentially got a minority vote, and we're not able to um, continue. Oh, they simply just agreed with the investors and walked away because, you know, because like, hey, I already broke it. I don't want to mess with it anymore. Like, I'm done. Um, but in the, either case, I feel like there's a legitimate business there to be had. And you can keep four to five people, right? Continue to service your customers. You know, scale down your Philippines operation. Still going to be awesome, right? A few people there. And think what you're going to do next. Now you have a platform to build from. Now you gain that experience. Now move, you know, there's, there's ways to move in the, in the direction. But I, I, I honestly, I don't know that. I wish, I wish we can talk to Max and get more information on it. But I'm surprised that sending this, uh, uh, 
we are closing doors letter to customers when it's still a viable business. I don't know. I'm sure they're not the first one to ever do that. Uh, there's probably been lots of management companies that have had to shut down uh, quick, fast, in a hurry for whatever reason. Somebody gets ill, somebody dies, you know, somebody gets divorced. I mean, there you go. Uh, it does happen now and again. But the reason it happened and at such a large scale for the amount of funding they had behind them is surprising to see. Uh, it doesn't. It did not look like a viable business model when he presented it a year ago. Uh, you had a lot of uh, property management company owners that looked at that and did not recognize the value as far as, oh, that'll work. Yeah, that's a that's a new mousetrap that's going to completely work. Uh, if they presented this on Shark Tank, what would Mark Cuban tell them? You know, how bad would he beat them up if this were presented in that format? Actually, that'd be interesting. That's an interesting question. I don't know. Mark Cuban can see can see a lot of things none of us can see. Um, he does make mistakes, but he's pretty good. But so I'm from Silicon Valley. The culture here, to me, the fact that the incumbents say it's not gonna work is is more of a like, more of a like. Uh, 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 encouragement, right? Like, hey, oh yeah, they say it's not going. I'm going to do it anyway. So, so to me, like this is this is quite because the cabbies, right? You think about this. Put so to take a reverse. Think about cabbies and, and Uber. Do you think they they thought it's going to work? No, of course not. And nobody thought we would fly 200 years ago. So it's it's always going to be changing with technology. And we we talked about this in the beginning. Is I I give him mad props. You know, uh, kudos to be able to to come up with something like this, something new, out of the box, to do something different inside the industry. Uh, however, it's not he's not uh, creating something new and fascinating. It's kind of like just a spin on something that's already there. I just didn't see it working, but uh, you know, I think there's going to be opportunities out there for other entrepreneurs to come up with new things in the management industry because, again, the Shark Tank reference, they got to solve a problem. That's one of the key points in either creating a service or creating a product is you have to solve a problem of sort. And I don't think they really did. That's true. That is true. And I think that's, that's, I think that's where we end, man. This is why they failed. They, they didn't solve the problem. And how much of that problem really exists and how relevant it is to the landlord community, to the investor community, I don't know. What's a factual number Brad, you'll agree with me because it's factual. About 27% of properties are professionally managed. The rest are self-managed. A lot of opportunity for us, isn't there? Heck a lot of, of opportunity. So you may be right on the timing factor as well because had they done this two years from now, three years from now, where, the, where now I think, the, I think the investors are beginning to trust the industry, right? Look at how NARPM has just changed, right? It's just... It went from kind of like, okay, this, this few people gather in a chapter thing to now massive, massive uh, um, trade shows and, and a lot of mm -hmm. vendors. And you can see the industries buzzing, right? Yeah. Alex, I can see where this could work eventually. Uh, let's go back in time to 2006, 2007, when the market was really turning. Foreclosures were everywhere. And now the big corporate players were snagging up 500, 1,000 homes, 2,000 yeah. homes at a time. Had they engaged with a with a, a company like Castle, for example, they could have grown a portfolio again of, of you know corporate owned properties to fifty thousand or hundred thousand properties nationwide. That would have worked. And so, if this comes around again, if we have a real if we have a real apocalypse downturn to where 
again, we see the, the likes of that type of uh, recession, you could see something like this work with the advanced technology. And now all of a sudden banks control hundreds of thousands of homes again that they didn't want. But everyone's got to have a place to live. You got to have a place to live. So this could come around again to be more feasible in the future with more technology and another coming, another coming recession. See, so basically the customer acquisition cost drops significantly so you can scale up the op operations and scale up that technology and that system and the team aspect and all those things and the, and the, the automation and the on-demand labor and then make it work. I see that because I think Castle had to pay through the nose to acquire every one of these properties, which were lo they lost money on, right? Just like everybody else, they had to pay. What is your what is your acquisition cost? You said three hundred seventy three dollars. Yep, three seventy three right now. And that's good. They probably paid even more for it because of all the other things that they have doing in, in marketing and, and PR space. And so they paid I don't know five to seven hundred dollars to acquire these properties. And that probably wasn't uh, wasn't easy. Um, well, anyway, I, I think. I think we've done a, a pretty good job, Max. If you're listening to this, uh, I'd love to have you on the show. Um, again, just, just to help um, the rest of us entrepreneurs uh, interpret some of the lessons uh, that you've learned with this and, and, and help us in our own businesses. Um, Brad, I want to thank you for your time. Any parting words of, uh, of advice? Uh, Max, if you see me down the road, don't kick me in the shins, man. No, no harm, no foul. We, we admire what you did. You got a lot of guts to do it. Uh, just lick your wounds and get back in there and go at it again, man. Brad, if people want to find you and uh, get to your show, how do they get to your show? Uh, they find us on the Property Management Mastermind. So go to propertymanagementmastermind.com. They can find us there. Download us from iTunes. They can do the subscribe thing. Uh, you and I do a lot of chatting back and forth, so the shows work well together because there's information out there that has to be – There's always people are always hungry for more information. And the podcasting, I think, is going to be the wave of the future uh, because of that magic one-and-a-half or one-and-a-quarter time speed to make me sound like a chipmunk. So <laughs> I never – you know what? I never do that. People do that all the time. I, I overhear people listening to podcasts like this. I never do. I listen for real time, but I guess you do, huh? Well, sometimes but you want to get through that because you can turn a 40-minute episode into a 15-minute episode and listen to three or four in the same time frame. Huh. Efficiency. That's it's going to take over from, radio. From I think it's going to take over radio someday or at least take a good chunk of market share from generic AM, FM radio is podcasting because people are kind of tired of the commercials. They want on demand. And it's like the Netflix of audio. You're going to see podcasting get more and more prolific. This is how wisdom travels through the universe. And those who care to invest time and listen to these things become infinitely more capable in running their businesses. And on that note, Mr. Larson, I'll see you in a couple of days in the summit. Guys, thank you very much for listening. Uh, until next time, thank you.